No, no, you're being recorded. Oh, taking down in evidence and maybe you can hear some Okay, wonderful with you this afternoon. Good to see some old faces, old friends. And uh, wonderful to be here. I'm uh, thankful to Pastor Frank uh, giving me an invitation, opportunity to be here. Uh, I, was, uh, I was getting all excited as they were sharing testimonies and he was sharing about uh, how Mira is such a blessing to him. And uh, you know, behind every successful man is a good woman. And uh, I know that experientially myself. You know, behind every good man, uh, successful man is a good woman and a very surprised mother-in-law. But uh, we're very, very thankful for the opportunities God's given us to serve. Uh, before we open the word, I want to ask you to be praying uh, for us. I do want to thank you for your prayers for us. We've had a, a wonderful time in ministry this year in Africa, in Zambia and South Africa. And uh, I shared with um, Sister Kelly before, uh, the lights are still working in the um, church in uh, Kitway in Zambia that she put in some years ago. And we're trying to manipulate things so that Jono and Kelly will go over there to change the light bulbs every now and again. <laughs> I thought we were going to be late today because we were just about to leave and someone informed me there was a toilet, uh, one of the ladies' toilets was broken. And so I thought, since you stole our plumber, I would have to go and fix it. But, uh, so I think it's only fair that if you stole our plumber, we should be able to pick out someone from your church to relocate to Calvary. What do we need? <laughs> I found a new hairdresser the other day, he did a terrible, terrible job. I think I'm going to sue, but you know, I know what you know about hair, brother. We've all got wavy hair, wavy goodbye. So, so on Wednesday week I'll be leaving for Mauritius to spend three weeks with the Surrett family, uh, involved in ministry there. We have uh, upcoming meetings there in uh, three of the the different churches. Uh, they have not been allowed to purchase or build a church building at this time. Uh, their church is called Truth Baptist and they've been running into a string of hiccups and objections. But uh, pray that we've had a good time. Last year we had, uh, I think, nine or ten days of meetings. We had 19 adults made professions of faith last year and we're really looking forward to a men's retreat this year with a focus on leadership and serving uh, the Lord. Uh, a youth retreat. Uh, we were going to have a ladies retreat with my wife, but she's not able to make the trip. But uh, you know, we've got uh, special meetings in several of the churches as well. So please be in prayer for us. Pray that it will be a, a blessing to the Surrett family, to Brother Francois and Caroline, and uh, be an encouragement to them and to the, uh, the folk in those churches. I ask you to take your Bible this afternoon and turn to the book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel and chapter 16. Samuel chapter 16. Let's look to all together in prayer as we open the word of God this afternoon. Father, we ask your blessing upon this word, upon this people, yea, even upon this place. And thank you for the provision of the place to meet, to draw aside from the rush and the cares of the world, to uh, give attention to the word of God, to hear from heaven. And we thank you and praise you for the testimony of uh, this church body of believers. Thank you for the work you've done here these past seven years as they've uh, become more established in this community. You've allowed them to grow. You've allowed the faithful to grow in grace and knowledge. You've brought in uh, new people. 
uh, young people, older people. You've brought people under the faithful preaching and teaching of the Word of God. And uh, by your grace and mercy, you've brought about a deep and lasting change in the lives of many. And that uh, the seed is still being sown. And the seed is still being watered. And much prayer is still required uh, to bring forth fruit, not only in the lives of those that are here, but those who have been here, some who will come again, some who may not. But that the witness of the word is still going forth. And we thank you and praise you. Uh, for Pastor Frank and the Faith Baptist Church here and ask you to continue to bless the ministry here for your glory and for your praise. Now we ask that you open our ears and our eyes and allow us to give uh, obedience to the Word of God with the sweetness of spirit that only you can give. Minister to us now and be glorified in all of us under the plan ask in Christ's name and thanks to you. Amen. The King Saul had gone through a time of testing and at the end of that time of testing, God had rejected him. The pronouncement of God was that it is better to obey than to sacrifice. To hearken is better than the fat of rams. And uh, his uh, disobedience to God was very costly, not only to him personally, but to his family, and it also impacted on the nation. Whenever leadership staggers, whenever leadership has uh, faults, whenever leadership fails, it impacts not just on that person, uh, but we know it impacts on the whole nation. We see that happening in our own country today. Uh, regardless of what your political persuasion may be in Australia at this time, we know that our, our nation has suffered much uh, by the lack of direction from political leadership. It just happens that way. The law allows it to happen that way. And we're, we're encouraged, we are counselled in the Word of God to not put our confidence in princes and not put our trust in men, but to put our trust and have our focus on God. And we need to be praying for those in positions of leadership that God would give us men with a heart for the things of God. Uh, they seem to be sadly lacking. And of course, I think I may be using the, the word men in a very broad sense because Many times there aren't men who want to step up to the plate and take the position of leadership. And uh, whether you like it or not, the Bible makes it very clear that when women are thrust into the position of leadership, it is a sentence from God, it is a judgment from God, because it was never God's intention that, that, was, uh, that that's the way it's done. It has always been God's intention for men to take leadership. It's true in the family. It's true in the home, it's true in government, it's true in the church, it's true in every walk of life, that the ideal is for men to lead. And so we need godly leadership today. And if we're not going to get it from godly men, well, we'll hopefully we'll get it from godly women. At the moment, the only leadership we seem to have in the Western world is godless leadership. And uh, you know, one of the things that really is needful for Israel at this time is godly leadership. One of the things that has very obviously brought about much fruit and much blessing for Faith Baptist Church over these past seven years has been godly leadership. Not just the man, but the woman standing by the man. And not just the man and the woman, but the people standing by them. People who have taken uh, God's position for them in submission to their leadership and allowed them to minister to them and through the word of God, allow them to grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and become fruitful for the glory of the Lord. It doesn't just happen. 
Uh, it, it, these, are, these are decisions of the heart. These are commitments that are made by men and women, and not just by old men and old women. These are made by young people. You go back through the Bible and you find there were times when God brought about great revivals, but he brought it about through young people. Uh, one of the great revivals uh, of the scripture is under the leadership of a young man named Josiah. He had been brought up during some of the most godless times, some of the most godless of influences, some of the most wicked people that ever drew a breath. And yet God allowed this man, uh, this child uh, at the age of eight to ascend to the throne and with godly counsel and leadership alongside him, he led the nation through a time of spiritual blessing and revival that they have not enjoyed since. That's two and a half thousand years ago, maybe longer, three thousand, it's a long time, and they, they, they have suffered without having great leadership. And uh, it's so true of the church. It's so true of our communities that what we need is we need to have people who have a heart for God and are willing to obey God. Now here in this rejection of King Saul, uh, Samuel the prophet was, uh, was in great lamentation and God uh, graciously encouraged him by saying, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul? See, I have rejected him. Fill your horn with oil and you go to the house of Jesse the Bethlehemite and I have found me a man. God said, I found me a man after mine own heart. And you go and you anoint among the sons of Jesse, my new king, the one that I have chosen. And so we come into this chapter and uh, we, we could wax elephant about uh, uh, the spirit departing from Saul. Beginning of verse 14, it says, But the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. And Saul's servant said unto him, Behold, now an evil spirit from God troubleth thee. Let our Lord now command thy servants which are before thee to seek out a man which is a cunning player on the harp. And it shall come to pass when the evil spirit from the Lord is upon thee that he shall play with his hand and thou shalt be well. Now we can really wax elephant here about the benefits of good music. But we don't have enough teenagers here, so we won't bother, all right? But, uh, I mean, it's obvious here that music was going to be used of God to impact on the depression, uh, the spirit of this man that is so downcast. I mean, I don't know about you. I haven't been in this situation. I've been on the receiving end of the rejection of people. Here's a man who was on the receiving end of rebuke and rejection by God. The prophet came and told him, you're out. God's finished with you. He's done with you. Can you think of anything that would spiral you into a, into a place of, of mental and emotional catastrophe within and without? I mean, what follows in the years of King Saul for, uh, it came about from his own wrong choices. He could have and, and, and would have enjoyed great blessing if he had a oneness of heart with this young man David, but he didn't. His envy, his jealousy, turned him into David's enemy instead of being uh, one who could have been a great uh, counselor and confidant of David, one who could have been mightily used in the life of young David, but God's rejected him. And he's doing, and the rest of his life is nothing but an oversized dummy stick. This is the, the, and this is a grown man. We're not talking about a child here, and we're talking about a grown man. But he was willful and he was disobedient and God has rejected him and now God's chosen someone else and now this evil spirit is troubling him. 
It casts him to a great uh, pall of depression comes upon him. Uh, he, he, he's not coping. He, he, he's probably suspect to having all sorts of little sissy fits and, and uh, you know, sitting in the corner and doesn't want to eat his dinner and, and he has his ups and downs and, uh, you know, he's almost like having a middle-aged crisis or a male menopause or, or whatever you want to call it. He's up and down like a yo-yo. The guy's an absolute basket case. But he's blessed to have some men here who seem to have a solution. And the solution is this. Let us find a man that is a cunning player of the harp. And when he plays, the music will soothe you. It'll be comforting to you. And so the command of Saul in verse 17 is very simple. And Saul said unto his servants, provide me now a man that can play well and bring him to me. What's the problem? Well, we have a man who's being overcome and depressed. He's constantly assailed. He's downcast. He needs help. What's their, their counsel? Their counsel is let's find someone that can play the harp. What's the command that's given? Get him. Go find such a man and bring him in. Bring him in. Bring him to me and let's, 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 let's get this happening. Uh, we're not going to worry about taking you know, some antidepressant drugs or something. We're just going to play with the harp. Look at verse 18. Then said one of his servants, then answered one of his servants and said, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, that is cunning in play. Now what was the requirement? Got to play the harp. What's he saying? He said, I've seen this young guy who plays the harp. He's a really, really good harp player. We'll shoot at the end of the story. But it's not. It goes on and says, and a mighty valiant man. Um, how old was David? 15, 16, 17? He's, he's but a youth. And yet according to this man, he's a mighty valiant man, a man of war. It says here that he's prudent in matters and a comely person. I mean, you look through this list here. I mean, you talk about Australia's got talent. But look at, look at this, folks. Israel's got talent. Here we have a man who is musically. I can turn on a tape player. I know how to put a CD in the slot. I even know how to turn on a TV set. How educated. Uh, that's about as musical as I get. This man has got music. Are you gifted? You know, over the years, almost 30 years we've been in ministry, and the golden fingers of Mrs. have been caressing keys in churches all over the western suburbs of Melbourne for years now. You know, I grew up in a home with a keyboard, with a big old piano sitting in the lounge room. And I'm the only member of my family that never had a piano lesson. The only time I'd ever touched the piano was when I was 15, 16, 70 years old and I'd come home on a Friday or a Saturday night roaring drunk and think I was Liberace. And sit there and make all kinds of noise. And, you know, I mean, how many rounds of chopsticks can you do before mum gets up at one in the morning and gives you a slap in the ear and sends you to bed? That's my musical talent. You know, this is amazing. We have in our churches today people who are tremendously talented and gifted, but do they use them for the Lord? See, the world today puts tremendous premium on having gifts and talents. In the corporate world, it's all about gifts and talents. I mean, if you are going to be sick, I mean, we give out all the prizes to the people who have got certain gifts and talents. 
David's got that. But it also says here he is a mighty, valiant man. The idea here is one of one who is courageous, one who is strong, morally strong. Not just strong physically, but he is morally strong. He is a man of resolution. He is a man who says who would stand before the king and when everyone was trying to talk him down about facing Goliath would say, is there not a cause? His spiritual heckles bristled. It really got him riled up when Goliath came out and stood there saying, send me a man. And blaspheming God and mocking the armies. And, and young David said, this is not right. Somebody's got to shut that man's mouth. And everybody, I mean, they're, they're all saying, don't get upset, don't get all fired up about this. But it's really not that bad. I mean, he's a nice guy when you get to listen to him for a while. And everybody was scared to death. They looked at Goliath and they said, oh, have you seen this man? Have a look at his foot six tall. I don't know what that is on the scale, but it's only probably a couple of bricks short from the window. I mean, he's a big man. And David, look at his split, is probably your average five foot eight or something like that. He's just a boy. And, the, and when he came out to the, to the battlefield, his brother said, oh, you've come to see the fight. Well, he would have gone home very disappointed, I can tell you. Because all he could see was men hiding behind rocks and trees everywhere. And he sees this giant come out and stand before everybody and begin to run off at the mouth. And he says, you know, somebody's got to do it. Somebody's got to take you on. Somebody's got to do something. We can't just let this happen. You know, what shall be done? Everyone said, you don't understand. He's too big to hit. David said, no, you don't understand. He's too big to miss. There's a difference in the way you see things. You're looking things through the eyes of men. David's looking through the eyes of God. David's looking with eyes of faith and as a mighty, valiant man, he says, I can and I will do this. And, and he, and he exercises himself. It says here that he's a mighty, he's a man of war. It's a planner. He's a warrior. He's a thinker. He's not, he's not going in there. When David went down to the brook, how many giants were there? One. But he had brothers. So David didn't just go down there and take one stone, but he took five stones and put them in his bag. Have you ever seen a slinging stone? Now, I haven't been, it's, what's it been, 10 years or something since I went? The old museum that used to be on the corner of Swanson and Russell Street. Every time I'd be in Melbourne, I've taken my kids around here, they used to have an archaeological section there. And in it, they even had a Bible archaeology section. And in amongst it, they had all these little artefacts and pictures and that. And I still remember this day, in amongst it, they had, you know, a piece off an old Egyptian chariot, probably found somewhere in the bottom of the Red Sea. But, uh, you know, and, uh, and, and all these old, you know, uh, pharaohs of Joker posters and all that. But they had a little pile of slinging stones. And these slinging stones are almost perfectly round and they look just like a slightly smaller than a cricket ball and a bit bigger than a billiard ball. You think to yourself, some young fella gets a sling and cranks that thing up and lets it rip and hits you right between the eyeballs with it, you're in serious trouble. And I used to look at these slinging stones and think, wow, that is awesome. They did just about take his head off. But we didn't. He finished it with his own sword. You see, he's a fighting man. He's got courage of heart. He's got, he's got courage of mind. He's a man that we would say has got some real backbone. It also says here, he is prudent in matters. What's that? Well, he's discerning. 
He's discerning with his ears. He's discerning with his thoughts. He's got wisdom beyond his years to sit down and to be able to think through a problem. And he's not hasty with his words. He's not flying off the handle. That was one of King Saul's problems. King Saul was forever blurting out rash vows and and making all these promises and saying things and not doing things. And and that's how he violated the priesthood. And that's how he he did this. And he did just all these things. David's not like that. He's thinking. Prudently matters. He'd make a good good business partner, wouldn't he? What about what sort of a job or character reference would this be? And then something says, and they come in person. John O. Mingy's a handsome brute. You know what that is, don't you? He thinks that every time he looks at me, oh, it's the hustler. I hope I grow up to be handsome like you. He was a good looking young man. Now, now, all these things to the world, to the world, this is all that matters. To the world. Is this the world you live in? Where that's all that matters is someone's got muscle or someone's got brains or someone's got talent or somebody can play the spoons or a piccolo with their nose or stand on their head and blow their socks off or they've got some marvellous athletic abilities or whatever it is they've got. Is that really all that matters? But look at this last phrase. And the Lord is with him. We only have one requirement, and that is find someone who can really play a harp. Well, that's not hard. But then it goes through and it gives us all these other things of his discerning and he's wise and he's fearless and he's brave and he's courageous and he's, and he's bold and he's got all these things. And the good looks. Any of you single girls here looking for husbands too late, it's gone. But you can probably find one floating around one of our churches. We've got several single men at our church, haven't we? Had at our church. And the Lord is with him. Hey, what really matters here? You see, to the world, all that matters is all the preamble there. But spiritually, this is what God wants. You know, if, if this church would see another year or another seven years, or another 33 years. This year, Calvary Baptists will have their 40th anniversary. Down through the years, we've been blessed with godly men and godly leadership, and we've been blessed with men and women in the assembly who have had a real heart for the things of God, a tremendous blessing. And we've been blessed with people who had musical ability and, and people with muscle and people who, who were able to think through things and solve problems and, and all that sort of stuff. I mean, even to having someone like me to refill a toilet seat. I mean, how good's that? But this is what really matters. That the Lord is with him. The most important thing in this church for Faith Baptist Church here in this community, in this city, on the whole of planet Earth, the most important testimony you people can have in your day-to-day walk is that the Lord is with you. That the Lord is with you. Now, by the way, when when this servant comes up with this, where did he get this from? He says, I have seen. I have seen. Did he see all these things? 
Was he an eyewitness of all these things? Or when he says, I've seen, is he perhaps sharing, maybe waxing, you know, embellishing a little bit? Maybe he hasn't actually really seen it, but he's heard it. I mean, when David was out mining sheep, while the rest of the men gathered round the fire to, you know, maybe cook some food and that, here's David, you know, the, the smallest, the youngest of the brothers, he gets consigned over here to sit on a rock on his own, away from the fire, looking out into the dark of the night. Somebody's got to watch the sheep while the rest of us have a good time at night. I mean, that's not, I mean, how many people need to watch sheep? I mean, they're all going to lay down and go to sleep. You watch the sheep, we'll all go and have a good time. Sounds like Jacob's, Jacob's boys. But anyway, so David. People were talking about the time David uh, had a lion and a bear that came into the flock. And David went and caught the lion by the beard and slew him. And he went and he killed the bear. I mean, this is a boy. We're talking about his So much so that the testimony he has here is that yes, he has got all these talents, but the Lord is with him. And when I look at that and I think of our church as a body, our church as a family, our church as a testimony and a witness to the community, I have to ask myself, what are people seeing? What are people seeing in this church? When people come to visit in this church, thankfully they don't see a bunch of old women in bonnets and men with long beards that look like Rip Van Winkle just got out of bed or something. But yeah, what do they see? And what, and, and what are they saying? What are they seeing in this church? Well, let's get very personal. What are they seeing in your life? In your personal walk with God? What are people seeing? You see, the Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away, behold, all things have become new. The gospel claims to change people. That's why Paul wrote to the Philippians and said, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Paul said, whether I'm with you or whether I'm absent, even if I never turn up again, this is what I want. I want to hear, I want to hear that people are seeing Christ is real in your life. Is it? Are people seeing that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin, are people seeing that Christ is real to you? I've been going through doing the study of the book of Philippians. You know, with the Apostle Paul, we call it the Epistle of Joy. It's so often there are references to joy and rejoicing. But when you, when you understand the book of Philippians, you realise, you know, Philippians was written from a prison cell. It wasn't written from a nice little penthouse somewhere looking out over the city while he was eating marshmallows dipped in the finest Swiss chocolate or something. No, no, it was written from a man in chains in prison. And by the way, not a prison like we have today with a colour TV and your, your own personal gym and your own little, you know... Uh, facilities here and, and all that sort of stuff. No, 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 no. A real prison with suffering and, and, and deprivation and hardship. And Paul says, you know, my joy is not found in the places that I am. Because he was in prison. His joy was not found when he was enjoying liberty in Thessalonica or Berea or Corinth or Athens or anywhere or even here. His, his joy was not in the place that he is. 
In chapter 2, he names different people and, 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 he's, and it would lend us to believe that his joy was not found not only in not places it is, but not even with the people that he's with. Paul tells us in, verse Corinthians, in, in Philippians chapter 3 that the real joy and the source of joy in his life was the person that he was becoming because of the person that he knew. That's why he spoke about that I may know him. He said, I want to be found in him. I want to be found knowing Christ. He said, I've got all this wonderful Jewish heritage. I've got this wonderful uh, heritage that's been handed down to me. He said, but, but, but it's but done. And all these things I count but done that I might be found having the righteousness which is of God through faith in Christ. And people were seeing that in the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul was telling people about it. Let me ask you, what are people seeing in your ministry? In particular, you as a Christian, if you know Jesus Christ as Savior, what are people seeing in your life? Have you changed? Have you grown? I mean, are the old things passed away? Are you enjoying what we call the popo principle of Colossians? Colossians says that you put off and put on. There's things to put off. As I grow in grace and knowledge of Lord Jesus Christ, as I become more Christ-like, as I allow the Word of God and the Spirit of God to work in my heart and my life, there ought to be genuine change in my life. That is seen. That is seen. You know, one of the biggest challenges and I think one of the greatest blessings I got as a young Christian was working in the coal mine with a fellow named Lester. Lester had all the Jesus bumper stickers all over his helmet. He had them all over his car. In fact, I think his old Ford was held together by stickers. I mean, did it? But I tell you what, you know, guys, I mean, I'd, I'd come into the lunchroom after I'd gotten saved. God was really changed my life. I'd come into the lunchroom and I'd find somebody had taken my lunch out of the oven and stuck it in the fridge, or taken it out of the fridge and stuck it in the oven. You know, just that's nothing. Your yeah? You used to be one, so I know what it looks like, know how it works. So for me, I've got no lunch today. Someone just cooked my salad, my day. Other times, just a slight one and smile, I won't sit down and eat it. Tasted absolutely disgusting. But still eat it anyway, eat a cold pie, eat a, whatever. If you did that to Lester, you talk about Krakatoa. You can forget about Hiroshima, folks. When this guy went, he was wrong. <laughs> And the language. He sounded like me a year before I got saved. He would turn the air blue with cussing and swearing and breathing. And talk about breathing out threatenings and slaughter. Somebody was going to die because Lester's pie was in the fridge and not in the oven. Someone must die. And one day after his explosion and he stormed out and kicked things over and threatened people and upended tables and chairs... These guys got up and said, hey, what is it with you? If we do that to you, you sit there and we do it to him. He, he goes absolutely nuts. And you're both supposed to be Christians. Are we missing something? I said, well, I'm not missing anything. I said, you'll have to ask Lester. I said, all I know is that that's not the way I believe a child of God should conduct myself. What are people seeing? 
My devotional this morning, we were looking at, I shared it with my wife, when Spurgeon had said of the godly man that he's not afraid when the evil tidings come. And he says, why? He said, because we're different. We're not the same. When we know Jesus Christ as Savior, we have the word of God to strengthen us. We have the spirit of God indwelling us. We have brothers and sisters in Christ to, to uplift and uphold and encourage us. Why would we want to behave like the rest of the world behaves? And yet, that's what people are seeing. Are they seeing Christ in you and I? Are they seeing the new creature? Or is the old man constantly raising his head and his chest and his shoulders? I mean, is that what we're meant to do? See, but people saw something different in them. They saw the Lord is with him. They were seeing it. And many times we're not even aware that people are watching us. Paul had to remind and graciously chide the Corinthians by, by telling them, you are an epistle known, written in the hearts and read of all men. People are watching you. See, great blessing is coming to this church because over the years, people have seen God doing a work here. How long does it take to build a solid church? Years. Years. My old friend, Brother Buddy Smith, said to me one day when we were having some fellowship together, he said, you know, it only just dawned on me. He said, the church totters on the brink of destruction every moment of the day. At any time, someone in the church could do something that could destroy the testimony of the church. Years ago, we had a, um, uh, several years ago, I should say, there was a man in Sydney who was found guilty of molesting children who used to drive a Sunday school bus for a fundamental church. But it was 20 years before he was found out. And uh, thankfully, they said, none of these things took place uh, within the ministries of the church, but outside of the church, this man would invite children from Sunday school and youth group to come and visit at his home and take them out to the movies and take them out for ice cream while he was mauling and molesting them. I mean, you know, whenever the world hears of that, they go, oh, you Christians, oh, you Christians. That's why the onus is on us. For the glory of the Lord, we've got to be different. We've got to stand straight. We've got to stand strong. We've got to stand on holy ground. And that's why Peter says, as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the form of lust in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, be ye holy for I am holy. What are people saying? And what are people saying? What are people saying about you as a Christian? What are people saying about you at work? What are people saying about you uh, and your closest neighbours? Uh, what are people saying about uh, you concerning your unsafe family and unsafe friends? Well, one of the greatest blessings I had many years ago, I used to get probably five or ten minutes once or twice a year to share the gospel with my unsafe family. Then I had the, the, uh, the challenge of preaching at my brother's wife's funeral after she committed suicide. After the funeral, we went back to my mum and dad's house and uh, my dad and I, we, we hadn't gotten on for years. And it was always a struggle to try and reach out to him, to witness to him, just to get an opportunity to, to, to say something, to share something without getting your head torn off. And, uh, you know, he, he was always so scathing, so mocking, always, always so, you know, condemning. 
But on this particular occasion, when we went back to the house and, and everybody's together and they're enjoying the wake and everyone's chatting and everything, and, and my dad got up. And he stands out there in the middle of the lounge and he says, I just want to say, I have been so wrong about my son. I am so proud of the way... All I did at the funeral was preach the gospel. But he got up and he, 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 he spoke for a couple of minutes about how proud he was and thankful he was. And, also, and no sooner had he sat down and my mum jumped up and said, I've waited 20 years to hear you say that. You have no idea what an encouragement it was to hear what people were saying. Would you like to hear what people are saying about you? Can we move on, please? Folks, if they're not seeing Christ, they're not saying Christ. This is what matters. This church won't last another seven weeks, seven months, seven years, maybe not even another seven days without the presence of Christ. The Lord is going with us. Is He with us? See, this church... This is not the whim of the man. This is not somebody who says, well, I've got nothing to do with my spare time. You know, hey, I'll go start a church. That's what they do in Africa. It's very hard to find genuine churches in parts of Africa because people go and start a church because that's how you make money. Start a church. Here in Australia, we start a real business, like maybe clean or, or get a job. No, no, I'll, I'll pretend I'm a church. And I'll get all these people come along and I'll give them money. How good's that? But they're not going to hear the gospel. See, this church can only exist as long as it is a preacher and a teacher and truthful to the word of God. See, that's what makes the difference. We're not like the church at Sardis in Revelation chapter 3, where, where the Lord said, Thou hast a name that thou livest and art dead. So look, everybody thought, oh, this is a wonderful church. I mean, look at all their programs and their buildings and, and all the people said, No, you know, said, you're dead. You're dead. Everybody else is saying that you had yet you're alive. That's what they're saying. He said, I'm telling you, on the authority as the Son of God, as the risen Lord of glory, as the King of kings and Lord of lords, you're dead. And that's all that matters what he has to say about the church. And by the end of chapter 3 of the book of Revelation, we have the church at Laodicea that had it all rich and increased in goods and everybody loved them but they were so far from God that we come down to Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20 and the Lord says if there was a man no longer speaking to all the church but if there's a man behold I stand at the door and knock if any man hear my voice and open the door I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me Folks, we've got to keep our heart fixed on the Word of God. We've got to keep our focus on the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've got to feed the sheep, not entertain the goats. This, this is the most important time in this church's short history. To realise this is an opportunity to start afresh and say, okay, we, we, we've had seven years of wonderful blessing, now let's ask God to give us seven more years of wonderful I don't know if I'll be here in seven years, brother. And I don't know. I, I, I don't think I could handle another seven years like the last seven years. 
This, this world is a nut house with the inmates running around trying to patch it up. I mean, it, it's a circus out there. And that's just looking at Australia. The Lord is with you. The Lord is with us. As long as we are faithful and true. This is the most important thing. Gifts, talents, abilities, skills, muscle, looks. Feel like I'm brand No. This is what it really matters. The Lord is with you. Is he? Do you know him as your own personal saviour? Do you know that you've been born again? Do you know you're washed in the blood of the Lamb? Do you know that you have a home in heaven? Do you know that your sins are forgiven? Do you know that you're a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ? This is all about salvation, folks. This is not about clean living. Morals and clean living won't save you from your sin. I've said it before and I'm going to keep saying it. Nice people go to hell. Saved people go to heaven. Done. Nice people. Clean living. Virtuous people, they go to hell. Only saved people go to heaven. And the Lord is with him. And this when we meet David very, very early on is really a preamble of one of the greatest men of God that has ever walked this earth. Great men of God. Failed, yes. Sinful, yes. Fleshly, yes. But still called a man after God. A shepherd. The kind of man God wanted to lead his people. The kind of man and woman God wants you and I to be. To bring others in. Oh, by the way, you read through your Bible and you won't find anywhere that God commands the world to go to church. You used to see those ads, find yourself in church. Church has changed, check it out. I've got news for you. Nowhere in the Bible is the world commanded to go to church. But I found a few times that the church is commanded to go to the world. And if we don't have Christ, if we don't have a changed life, we don't have a message. The Lord is with you. Pastor Frank, would you come here?